Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, welcome everyone. This is Mike Lewis with the Fanalytics Podcast. And today is a big day for the podcast because we are joined by a permanent new host, Mr. Doug Battle. How you doing today, Doug? Oh, I'm doing great, man. I'm so excited to be here. And as a lifelong sports guy, I got to say, I'm looking forward to the conversations we'll be having on this show. I'm excited to have you have you in here too. I mean, so that this is going to be great. Sort of some consistency. So I, I really think of this as um, uh, version 2.0 of the podcast, and and we're going to try and do a bunch of different things moving forward. We're trying to take this really to the to the next level. And so what we're gonna what we're gonna shoot for is we're gonna shoot for a weekly episode where we're gonna focus on you know let's call it current events in the world of sports. So what has just happened. Uh, a little bit of a look ahead now you know for today as uh, we're we're taping this on April 13th you know the look ahead is a little bit strange right i mean it, the the look ahead is kind of a lot of speculation in terms of where this world is going to go uh so with that in mind so what 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 do you, what do you have on deck Doug what are you thinking about well i'll i'll tell you this as far as Fanalytics is concerned. Something that really popped out to me this last week was the Falcons and Tampa Bay Buccaneers new uniform unveilings. Very different reactions to those two. And it's interesting to me how what a team wears can either fire up their fans uh, in a good way or turn their fans against them in a way and the league as well. So that's something I definitely would love to talk about this morning. And then in addition to that, we've seen multiple leagues, teams, and networks kind of get creative with how they're creating content and trying to connect fans during coronavirus, during this unique situation and unprecedented situation that we're in. So uh, that, that's another topic this last week that really is a um, relevant story, in my opinion. Yeah, I like it because um, it's, it's sort of one is kind of the it's sort of interesting where, where the world of sports ended up, right? So you've got the the NFL, which is almost business as usual or small adaptations. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the world of sports, like scrambling to try and figure it out, <laughs> to try and remain relevant. Um, right. So let me... Um, let me throw it back to you for a second. So the, sure. the uniforms, you know, I'll, I'll start out saying that uniforms matter and to put it in a little bit of a marketing perspective, you know, it's almost like the packaging, right? Or it's sort of the way mm-hmm. products, the, the aesthetics of a product, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's definitely something related to, and I don't like to, you know, I, I find myself tired out by, even though I'm a marketing professor, by marketing folks that just want to talk about the brand, the brand, the brand. But to some extent, that's probably the most convenient language for this. So the, the Falcons or the Buccaneers brand and the uniforms are part of that brand. At a minimum, they're what the product is wrapped up in. And so what I was meaning about, I'm going to throw it back to you, is mm-hmm. here's the question. How do, you, uh, how do you describe these two uniforms? Because <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling so we'll, this is going to be beyond both of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll do the best I can. Okay, I am not a yeah. uh, 
not a clothes designer. That's not my area of expertise. But I will say the Atlanta Falcons uniforms, uh, they went with a more new school look. I've seen it described as XFL. Um, Take that for what you will. Just to describe it as best I can, the primary uniforms are a gradient red to black, starting with red at the shoulders and fading to black um, pretty much by the shoe. I mean, there's black socks, black pants, and then the actual jersey fades from red to black. The numbers are, are much different. They're a little pointed. And then there's a big old ATL, almost like they're the Atlanta ATLs, yeah. um, looking at the uniform. The helmets are pretty similar to what they've already got. And so if you throw in a triple white version and a triple black version and mismatch some tops with bottoms, uh, that's the Falcons' new uniforms. Now, they do still have my favorite Falcons jersey, their alternate, which is a completely different look. Block letters, classic look, black jersey, white pants, classic like triple stripe on the sides with black, white, and red, and okay. uh, the kind of striped socks at the bottom. So that one's probably... Can, been the most well received from what I've seen, at least on social media. Okay, and so what I'm hearing, and and look, it's it's consistent with when I took a lot. When I, I mean, I, I think we're both in the same same game here in terms of, uh, let's say, having a limited vocabulary to describe <laughs> fashion products. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but but I think that that's what I came away with too. That it, it looks like it's a fashion move. And even listening to you uh, describe it, you know, I'm I'm hearing, uh, you know, in some ways the new the new jerseys are described as sort of modern and this kind of gradient color, and it sounds like these are fashion innovations, sort of what's on deck. Now, even when you alluded to the XFL, I think that's interesting because you know when the XFL went out there, they hired, you know, sort of graphic designers or fashion folks, and they produced what is current and what is now. Now, in terms mm-hmm. of the throwback, you use the word classic a couple of times. Sure. And I, I tend to think that that's where, um, that's where uniforms almost tend to exist on these days is there's sort of the, the fashion, the, the ones that emphasize fashion, sort of chasing, chasing what's new or now. And then you have the classics and, I, I tend to think that with a lot of sports fans that you're going to struggle to find folks that like the new and the now versus the classics. I mean, when I think, what, what, what do you think is the, the classic uniform in, mm-hmm. um, in the NFL, perhaps? I think, I think about teams like Chicago Bears, uh, Green Bay Packers, Oakland Raiders, New York Giants. I mean, the, okay. these teams that have been around for an eternity and they have a pretty simple look uh, but it's iconic and if they were to change it people would be upset because you're messing with what people have come to love and what people have come to know as their own Um, and so those are the teams I think of being the classics the more modern teams I think you've seen the Seattle Seahawks are probably the best modern example that's worked Um, where they've been embraced by their fan base, their their newer uniforms. And we're going to see more of, of these kind of efforts. But, I mean, you've seen the Cleveland Browns, and they're doing it again soon, apparently. Same as the Chargers. Well, but um, I think a lot of it came from Oregon, right? I mean, at the college level. Yeah. You know, in so. terms of, like, almost having a new uniform, sort of, but kind of chasing chasing sort of that that new look, trying to get a little bit of buzz because, hey, we did something cool this week. 
versus, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, and I don't know, maybe at the other extreme, if I'm thinking college football, I might go with a, like an Alabama, right? Have they ever That's updated exactly those? That's exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot interesting in terms of like the, the, the nuances of the, the conversation, how you describe it. Um, like this notion of classic or enduring to, you know, step out of sports for a second. I, I tend to think it's almost like, uh, and you might be a little young for this reference, but you know, it's like comparing a suit worn by James Bond in any of his movies, right? Doesn't really right. matter if it's 1968 or if it's 2017, that suit's probably going to work. Right. Right. Versus Timeless. versus let's say uh, in, in the the suit that I will always remember is I think it was like Jalen Rose when he was drafted. Oh, and and I want to say it was like a purple pinstripe and I, you know, memory, memory fades, but I think like a purple pinstripe suit. And so one is one is classic and the other is fashion. Fashion is temporary, often misses. Classic is something that that endures. And so in the case of uh, sports and why these things matter, I, I, I come back to the notion, the reality that a lot of sports fandom is really, it's, it's generational. It, it's not something that is created over the course of, you know, a, mm. a, a, a single game or a single season. It's something that is created over decades. And it's something that is handed down from, you know, grandfathers to fathers to children and it's, and so if that is the game, I, I think you want to you want to pursue something classic. Now I, I think for something like a lot of teams, and maybe this is the case of the Falcons, if you start to get on that chasing fashion kind of uh, kind of loop, I think it's hard to get off. Right? It's mm-hmm. almost like you need to commit to something and go. We're going to design a classic uniform right out of the gate, and we're going to stay with it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's fashion coming coming and going. It's always changing, and so when you are chasing it and you're trying to be modern, I mean you might need new uniforms every other year, just about. And that's what we're seeing uh, with with the Cleveland Browns here. Yeah. I think they're about to have another redesign. Um, well, whereas a team like the Packers could probably keep the same uniforms they have for the next hundred years, and everyone would be completely happy with it. Right, and at the end of the day, you know, you, you know, maybe the. Um, you know, I I wonder how much of it is really driven by well, if we change the, change the logo, we can get a few more. We're gonna get a minor bump in uh, merchandise sales uh, versus that long term effort to kind of build the equity. And and so it, that that's also kind of a classic marketing issue of like mm-hmm. a short term orientation to you know drive product sales, almost like a quarterly orientation versus a brand equity building. Uh, orientation where you're really just trying to create something for the long term. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the flip side, they went back to a more classic look, block numbers. Yeah. Um, they it's pretty much the look that they've had the most success in in their history, and that's the look that they've embraced now as as their brand. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful, right? I mean, so I I read that as well that uh, that the the look has sort of inspired by their Super Bowl winning teams, and it's like right, that's that's perfect. I think that's it's almost a textbook approach to creating fandom, playing off the generations, doing something classic, doing something that's going to endure. I mean, we'll have to see how these things we'll have to see how these things play out, right? I mean, given that we're in the realm of fashion. 
you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe the Falcons are going to hit a strike a chord that's going to, you know, put them at the top of the league in ter- terms of merchandise sales. But that's kind of this, uh, you know, it's like a gamble, right? It's like they're, sure. they're, 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 they're swinging for the fences and they may strike out where the Buccaneers look like they've done something sort of perfect in terms of building mm-hmm. the brand. Mm-hmm. And I think the Falcons are trying to anticipate what we don't know we want right. type of thing. And, uh, and maybe they'll hit on it, maybe they don't. But I do have a question for you, Mike. What do you think, if the Falcons hold on to that Super Bowl lead just a few years ago, um, the, the classic 28-3, to three, do you think we're seeing such a drastic rebrand so soon after a Super Bowl? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting conjecture, right? That it's, um, it's a, uh, is this a means of, let's say, moving on from a an epic sort of, demoralizing defeat or is it just the kind of the standard marketers need to do stuff to keep to keep moving forward uh, mm-hmm. you know and, and again it's like it, it's just speculation I, I i tend to think i i tend to suspect because my sense is that this this has become a very consistent part of sports this is that every few years um we see uniforms redone, right? That is every few years, you know, like let's say you're a college basketball fan that Nike comes out with some new uniforms or sort of new versions of the stuff. And it's just become part of, part of the landscape of sports. And I, again, I think a lot of it follows stuff that Oregon did. Maybe some of the stuff that Under Armour did, I think with Maryland a few years ago, but mm-hmm. you know, from my perspective, kind of this, long-term orient, you know, this long-term focus on how do you build a fan base? I suspect that usually they're misguided efforts. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So on to your next point. And I, and I think this is a great one, right? Because this, uh, you know, the COVID-19 and I think part of the, it was sort of a key cultural moment in all this when the NBA Mm -hmm. shut down, they were really the, the first league to really adopt this this perspective that we're in now in terms of the viewing the COVID nineteen as a culturally a cultural change event, and ever since the NBA shut down and then all the other leagues quickly quickly followed, there's been this speculation now, and I think a lot of these other leagues are trying to figure out how well how do they move forward. And so, what are you? Um, <laughs> well, why don't you summarize what some of the leagues are talking about? Sure. So we've seen the NBA really take the lead here. Um, like you said, they were kind of the first team to or first league to shut down. And I've I've heard it said that Rudy Gobert saved lives by getting the coronavirus because it raised so much awareness. Although I think Donovan Mitchell would argue that he endangered lives. Um, I, I like that, I like it. Rudy Gobert saved lives, but we could call this the Rudy Gobert recession, perhaps. <laughs> maybe maybe so, but um, but the NBA beyond that has has led the way as far as we had the two K players tournament um, where we had Devin Booker ended up winning, uh, but a, a group of NBA players were playing and they weren't playing as their own teams, which is interesting to me. They were playing as different teams than the teams they actually played on, um, but but had a tournament let's see beyond that in the nba they've begun a horse tournament um this weekend with nba and wnba players and then um donovan mitchell was hosting a instagram live concert series with with some artists as well so i mean they're they're getting real creative in the nba 
um, in particular, and I think other leagues have started to follow. I've read that the MLB is going to have a league for um, the PS4 game, the show, with a player from each team playing a season as their team, and they're going to have a World Series and just kind of simulate it. And then uh, we've seen a Madden Players Tournament, and then ESPN's also aired other esports, like Rocket League, for example. Um, And so I think another story here is that esports – are kind of getting their time in the limelight in place of traditional sports. Yeah, I mean, the other one to this, is, and it's not just the NBA, right? I mean, um, I think Fox aired NASCAR drivers playing on simulators right. in their homes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's yeah. like this electronic, uh, you know, e- esports has been something, and, and for our listeners that aren't aware, esports has been something that has you know, been on an amazing trajectory over the last few years. And, you know, it really started out enormous in, in Asia, but is also enormous in, in the States. And I'm not going to, we, we've actually got a partnership in, in the esports realm over at Emory. And so we, we've actually done myself and some PhD students have done a lot of research related to esports and sort of the roles of influencers, um, you know the the impact of watching esports. I'm I'm familiar with the a lot of the general concepts, but I'm not going to claim to be an expert in terms of all the different games of Overwatch and uh, Dota Two and, and all this kind of stuff. Sure. I I think um, the 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 thing that I would so that this is what's happening now, moving towards this kind of safe, distanced esports approach. The, the idea that I found have found the most interesting has been Major League Baseball's idea, and I think it's just being floated at this point, of perhaps all the teams relocate to the Phoenix metro area, and they play all the games essentially at spring training parks around the city of Phoenix without fans. So I, <coughs> excuse me, so I, I tend to think sort of these kind of two very different approaches. And, uh, you know, Doug, feel free. I, I'm going to go on a monologue here. So sure. feel free sure. to <laughs> feel free to jump in. So these two different approaches. So and maybe I should call it sort of two or two and a half different approaches. So, you know, like the idea of a horse tournament is almost like a novelty. Right. And mm-hmm. the idea of esports, while esports itself is growing by leaps and bounds and there's a tremendous amount of fandom there. I don't know that. You know, having, you know, Trey Young play LeBron James in NBA 2K or in some ways it doesn't matter, right? To have Trey Young play Peyton Manning in Madden, right? I mean, right, right. You know, this is kind of this is kind of novelty stuff. And and so I I think in some ways it's uh, when I say novelty, I think it, it, it kind of harkens back to our earlier conversation about you're trying to do something to get attention, right? It's sort of fashion mm-hmm. kind of like breaking through the noise for some kind of kind of one-shot deal. Now, the other side of this, MLB playing, potentially playing everything in the, the Phoenix area, and I'm not, you know, giving it away my, my personal opinion. I, I kind of love that one uh, because I think the difference between the two, and, and this is something I talk about a lot when I'm in the, in the classroom and I'm talking about fandom, is the idea that one of the foundations of fandom is shared stories. And so right. you might also call this sort of shared narratives. That fans, you know, fans exist in communities and what really lays the foundation sort of 
is, is the foundation on which fandom is built is the shared story. And so it doesn't matter, you know, whatever team you, whatever team you root for, there, there's going to be this like body of shared stories, right. That become almost like legends over time. And so when sure. I look at, uh, you know, playing, uh, playing horse, the WNBA versus the NBA players, you know what, that is built for sports center. Um, you can, you know, show some crazy shots. You can show some crazy upsets. That's going to maybe be shared on social media. So maybe you get more of an immediate pop. But what I love about the idea of MLB essentially locating their league down to Phoenix is they have the opportunity to create new stories, create new narratives, right? It's still serious competition, but it's now going to be done in a way that is so unusual that they can let's say pull the camera back and almost, you know, sort of create Olympic like stories throughout the year, mm-hmm. more player profiles, um, just the oddness. And, and I mean, I know, you know, social distancing is still happening, but the fact that all the players could be, you know, while they're in competition could mm-hmm. be potentially hanging out at the same restaurants and the same country <laughs> clubs. Right. It's like you could have a reality TV show almost. I, you know what? <laughs> I, I think that's perfect. You could almost build a reality TV show to sort of go and and, and it, it, largely you could right because the production would be pretty easy since everyone's in Phoenix they're all using the same workout facilities potentially so right. you could build this reality TV show that could go along this legitimate competitive season so I I love the Major League Baseball idea the other stuff I think is is almost kind of noise just to stay in the public mind. So, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't be so harsh. It's almost like some of the NBA or the esports kind of efforts are designed to just sort of stay in the game, to create yeah. a little bit of a sci- a, a excitement, stuff that can be shared on social. But the MLB one, I, I think it's a very, uh, it's a really interesting idea, but especially depending on how they produce it. Yeah, I think with the NBA, I mean, they're still thinking there's a possibility they continue that season this summer. Um, and I absolutely think the you know association as a whole wants to stay in the limelight or keep people engaged, even on social media, um, if things are going to continue and they're going to pick up the season. It's really in doubt at this point. Going back to the MLB, I think we're looking at an opportunity for baseball to be back in the forefront of sports in America again. And that's something that, you know, it's America's pastime, um, but it's often overshadowed by other things going on. Even during baseball season, the Olympics and the NFL and NBA drafts and playoffs for the NBA, and there's so much going on. um, Whereas the MLB is able to accomplish this, they know that they're putting themselves in the spotlight, that we're all sports starved and baseball even for younger generations that maybe have not enjoyed baseball to the same extent as some older generations you know it's more likely to be consumed in that way well let me let me let me add to that because i think i think you made some really some really good points there sure that baseball and i think you know so again this this idea of this kind of inability to create some new stories and some narratives the thing that I wanted to add to to where you were going with it is that baseball has, for whatever reason, and, and again, I should probably put a ca- caveat on this in terms of saying it's sort of my understanding that 
Baseball mm-hmm. fandom tends to operate at the local level, whereas okay. NBA fandom and NFL fandom tend to operate almost more at the national level. So I think there's almost more, there's more passion a lot of times of baseball at a local market, but there isn't this kind of overarching national perspective on baseball. And now again, that's that's sort of a little bit too, a little bit of Broad, a shortcut yeah. to describe it, right? But you know, you, you think of the NBA and they're national level stars, right? There's, uh, there's Harden and there's LeBron James, right? These are guys are international stars where baseball stars tend to operate more at the local level. And so this is an opportunity for baseball to try and develop that kind of national stardom that past, past generation of baseball players actually enjoyed. So I think that's great. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, if you look at the NBA, they've done such a good job in this generation of players centering everything around the individual players, whereas you'll have people that are LeBron fans, you know, that have pulled for the Miami Heat, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and now the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, but the spotlight is on LeBron and they've done similar things with guys like Steph Curry and even now a guy like Giannis, where it's not as much about the Milwaukee Bucks as it is about the Greek freak. Um, and the MLB on the flip side, you know, I don't know a ton of guys that are household names across across the states in baseball. So I do think you're right about it being local where there's, you know, here it's the Braves. Everyone pulls for the Braves, mm-hmm. um, but may not keep up with every team or, or certain players across the United States as much as, say, an NBA fan would, where we're watching LeBron, Giannis, Steph Curry every single night looking for their highlights. So I think the MLB has an opportunity to take the spotlight and to modernize itself in that way if they're able to get playing. On the flip side, though, what do you think are going to be arguments against bringing baseball back, even in somewhere like Arizona where it's confined? Well, I think it's, you know, it's a strange cultural moment. And I mean, and you think about how, you know, th- th- and this has become kind of a strange, you know, it, almost everything in our culture now becomes quickly politicized, right? And so yeah. one of the issues on this is going to be when people start to open things back up, there's this fear that, well, you're not taking the public health side of this seriously. And it's, I think it's really unfortunate that things have gone in that direction. Uh, you know, I mean, if you think about what how this whole situation transpired, you know, we went from a very kind of lax attitude towards all this, right? The, you know, the, the, the NBA player sort of making sure that he touched all the equipment, right? Not taking it seriously <laughs> right. to then the strangeness of, uh, you know, decision makers and leaders suddenly trying to become the most responsible leader um, on a day-by-day basis, right? Remember, this started out as no gatherings of more than 250 people to no gatherings of more than 50 to no gatherings of 10 to now they, uh, my understanding is some localities are breaking up uh, two people having, you know, eating together in a park, right? Wow. And, and so there's been this, and to put a little bit of a an academic, uh, backdrop to this you know there, there's something called the the negativity bias and the idea of the negativity bias is that negative information is just taken more seriously it's he- weighted more heavily than equivalent positive information yeah and so one of the things i think we've seen now is this kind of 
you know, fear. And, and again, I don't want to make a judgment. You know, I don't have enough insight into the actual data in terms of in, infections at local levels. But there's been this kind of fear, this idea that, you know, you don't want to get this wrong because if you get it wrong in one direction, people die. And so we've seen ever more and more tightening. And now we're in a little bit of a dilemma in terms of how do you take a step back to moving towards normalcy? I mean, you know, I'll I'll get, I'll give you a a strange one in all this, you know, I, I teach at a business school and in some classes we've got 65 seats in the classroom with social distancing when we open in the fall and, and for core courses in general we've got a student in every seat are we going to have to move towards models where we'll only have one student and then an empty seat next to it almost like an exam look um are right. restaurants going to do this are you know when we start to bring crowds back to sporting events are they going to sell every other ticket right i mean so there's <laughs> you know my sense is that we're now as a society in a in a position where this needs to be walked back slowly for people to be comfortable with it. How do you walk sports back slowly, you know, playing without fans then potentially, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but how do you, how do you cross that next line? Right. How do you say, okay, now we're going to let some fans in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be a, tricky thing to navigate and i suspect you know what teams are going to have to do or what leagues are going to have to do is really kind of take it slow and sort of judge you know judge the reaction kind of read the room in terms of how folks in the news cycle reacts and sort of slowly open things back up yeah and getting back to the negativity bias i feel like if the mlb were to do this and all those players are staying relatively close and and in the same place if something were to happen if one player were to get it and spread the coronavirus via the baseball you know across the mlb and that was in the national spotlight and it could make them look like a bunch of idiots for coming back too soon um when there's people telling them not to and so that's you know another negativity bias example that'll probably have to be considered by the MLB. No, I think you're right. I mean, the idea of having, um, you know, that somehow, I mean, baseball is naturally distanced, but if they somehow transmit the virus to, you know, if any of the players get it, there's still a dugout. The speculation is almost going to go back to somehow it occurred during play rather than, you know, that player going to the grocery store. Right. And, you know, heaven help us if the player contracts that and gets really sick then it's like a doomsday scenario for whoever you know came up with the plan so it's terrifying i think for for just about everyone yeah and i think another thing that'll be considered or at least that will be uh used against the mlb is the fact that there's a limited number of tests and it's pretty Mm -hmm. clear that the mlb would use its resources to be testing all of its Mm -hmm. players and make sure everyone's in great health and there's gonna you know the the public's perception of that is unfair and in the treatment of these athletes as opposed to sick people who aren't able to get tested um and potentially that having an effect on on public health and and you know what this is great because what what this conversation really highlights and and we'll sort of sign off here in in a second Mm -hmm. what this conversation really highlights is all of the unknowns right so you know you've got these ideas of you know how to move forward but almost everything then you start to it's not even like poking holes in the idea right it's just these little what if analyses Mm -hmm. but it highlights now we're in this 
this cultural moment where everything that especially sports does is going to be under a microscope. Right. And so the potential is you can come up with 10 things that, you know, that have small probabilities of happening in terms of going wrong, but potentially if anything goes wrong, it's devastating. Right. And and so it's, it's this, whoever's in charge, whoever's making the decisions has got to come up with the right approach. And look, if the right approach occurs and, it's not viewed as being opportunistic. It's not viewed as taking tests away from wherever the disease is spiking. No right. one gets sick and we bring sports back. And, you know, let's say that MLB does this in a way where they're not making any money or any proceeds are being donated to COVID relief. They can tell the the story they want. Then it's a, you know, the, the you know, I was going to say it's a home run, right? And it's baseball's <laughs> national level home run so that's that's the upside and then on the downside you're right it's every little detail so it's like you know it's it's almost like the commissioner has got to do like a whitewater rafting kind of uh (laughs) kind of kind of relaunch of the game here yeah i think uh commissioners are more in the seat that a gm would typically be in as far as with an early draft pick it's you know it's going to make or break their career as far as if you draft a bust with the number one pick in the draft you know your your gm career is probably not going to be too long and i think commissioners are feeling that same way as far as just bringing their game back so we'll see what happens but i would expect uh some risk aversion we'll see absolutely you know like i said this is kind of uh i think this is the first episode of kind of the new fanalytics with mike lewis and uh Doug Battle now joining us. As always, you know, there, there's a lot more content, and, and especially we're going to try and link stuff back to the website, which is fanaliticswithmikelewis.com. And mm-hmm. so, you know, definitely we'll throw up a picture of, I, I'm guessing most folks have seen it, but we'll throw up a picture of the, the new Falcons and the new uh, Buccaneers. Buccaneers uniforms. Um, anything you want to plug, Doug? No, I appreciate you all listening, and uh, Mike appreciates you uh, letting me join you on here. I'll be on here for for the rest of the year, <laughs> so in foreseeable future. We're doing this remotely, so uh, no public health concerns for how we're doing it. Just want everyone to be clear that we're not taking up any extra COVID tests to make this happen. Okay, so with that, thank you guys, and like I said, we'll be doing this on a weekly basis. So uh, talk to you again soon.